Hi, and welcome to the Unhinged History Podcast, the podcast where two people who like to sit on their couch and look at history stories on their phone and can't get enough of what happened on this day in history 50 years ago, and then we'll proceed to tell each other those stories. Or the adjacent stories we learned while reading those stories. Because that's truly what happens. (laughs) In the process of learning about the first flight you end up automatically learning about some wild berry that lived nearby and how <laughs> it was used to dye clothing. Can I? Oh, hey, that's Teresa. And this is Angie. We didn't oh, say hey. names. <laughs> yeah, we've only been doing this for 32 episodes. So apparently we cannot be trusted to say our own names yet. Um, I was, I, <laughs> I was retelling, um, Ian about your story the other day and like I was regaling him with your comment about Mitt Romney and me like something <laughs> Mitt Romney with Beyonce but before I said that to him I was like yeah so so her her guys like he's building statues in his yard of people that are not like entirely famous yet like they haven't really done anything yet <laughs> like, yeah they've just come onto the scene like last week you know, but he's building these statues. And so she mentioned Mitt Romney and I mentioned Beyonce. And I'm not kidding. The the quickness with which he said, but Beyonce's done stuff. Oh. <laughs> so here's my formal apology to Beyonce. I didn't mean it like that. I just simply meant that you are famous right now. Yeah. Not 2000 years ago. <laughs> and you have a middle american white man totally defending your honor <laughs> in california so and you, hating the Beyonce. juxtaposition of you with miss with mitt romney in fact he was just not about it and it it genuinely made me laugh so hard <laughs> and i have still been debating why during last week's episode i pulled mitt romney out of the air of all people I'm well because he's a political figure. I mean, it ma- it makes it made sense to me. But why was he top of mind? Maybe why him like... over literally in any anyone else? When was the last time he was in the news? You know, he. Um, oh, I literally just read an article like three days ago, and I, I don't even remember what the headline is now. But like he was Mitt Romney has statue in yard. Of Beyonce. <laughs> it all comes full circle. It really does. <laughs> I don't remember what that article is about. I guess it's irrelevant now, but sort of the news sort the news cycle has gone past that, so I've completely forgotten because that's how our American brains work. These are things. These are things. Um before I also before I tell you my story, can I tell you that I was expressing to the same said husband that I was concerned I didn't have enough story that I was going to need to add, like, some significant information. (laughs) To which he said, I think you're fine. You have spoken to me about this incident for well over an hour. (laughs) 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 And I just can't get over that, man. So, um, yeah. He's got some faith in you. He sure does. (laughs) Uh, Or a whole lot of grace and patience a little bit of column a a little bit of column b a bunch from column c Mm -hmm. which which is what pharmaceuticals probably 
Yeah. I mean, okay. he did tell me last night that I made him need an Advil, which was totally unrelated to what we were talking about. But I was like, do you need a hug? And he said, no, I need an Advil. So there's that. Do you want to hear my story? I would love to hear your story. I've been waiting patiently for days and days on end. Days and days on end. Um, okay, so <clears throat> I'm I'm gonna tell you my sources first. My I have one source called AmericanRails.com. Okay. Um another source. Wait, wait, is there like an is it just every like that your entire source you're doing the entire website or is there an article on that or no it's an article but it doesn't really have a like if i if i say the name of the article right now i'll give away what i'm gonna ask you next so do you want me to take my headphones off real quick no i just want you to be patient i (laughs) i don't know if you know who you're doing this podcast with because you just you know can i just can i just ask you the question and then i'll tell you the sources yeah okay okay Sorry, forget my first source. Okay. Um, you know how we have discussed in the past how sad it is that we don't have enough the great events? Yeah. Okay. You know, like in our lifetime, we definitely don't have enough the greats, right? No, the greats all happened in the 1800s. They sure did, because I'm going to tell you the story today of the great locomotive chase of 1862. Oh, dang. I was dead on with the great of the 1800s. Yeah, you were. Uh, I also, for the sake of storytelling, need to ask, how familiar with the Looney Tunes are you? I mean, well-versed. Perfect. Okay, so um, my first source is greatamericanrails.com. Chase. The Congressional Medal of Honor website. Congressional Medal of Honor Society website called The Great Locomotive Chase, the first awarded Medal of Honor by historical author James Gindelspilger. I can't wait to learn how that relates to the uh, Medal of Honor. Truly. Um, And that that particular source is where the bulk of my story comes from. And then an engineeringcivilwar.com article called (laughs) Beauregard's Slow Fade into Oblivion. So I'm here to tell you the story of the first medal of honor awarded in U.S. history. And like before you assume that, like I've already told you the title, it's the Great Locomotive Chase of 1862. So when I tell you that it is the first medal of honor award, like when I read that, my first thought was, oh, this is going to be like this harrowing, heart-wrenching story about this world war one soldier who you know loses his whole family in the blitz or something like that is very much where i thought this was gonna go um so i'm gonna need you to just hear the story with the same level of giggles that i shared with myself whilst reading the story out loud to my husband the first time so uh picture it we're about a year into the civil war It is 1862, and Union Major General Ormsby Mitchell, who is the commander of the troops in Middle Tennessee, he knows that he needs to capture Chattanooga. Capturing that would deprive the Confederacy of access to both the Ohio and the Mississippi River Valleys, which are crucial. 
Um, however, he also knows that the South would be able to bring troops up from Georgia via the railway. So in his mind, in order to capture Chattanooga, he has to figure out how he can sever access to the Confederacy as much as possible because they have many more men in this area than he does. I mean, like, from my understanding, at this particular time, he's working with maybe 15,000 men. But you know, Atlanta sounds not like far. a lot, but. Right. But when you think of like Atlanta being what I mean, I know very little about Civil War history, but my understanding is Atlanta was like one of their strong was one of the South strongholds. So like when you think about how his concern, even in Chattanooga, Tennessee, is that that Georgia can get there a lot faster than his men can. Okay. Right. So his men from the north are having to deal with terrains such as like hard to pass waterways and mountain ranges. Whereas coming from Georgia to Chattanooga, they've got established railways and established telecommunication lines via the telegraph. So he's thinking, okay, I can't take Chattanooga until I take, I I cause some kind of disruption in their supply chain, right? Like this is a pretty common, I think, problem throughout wars in general. Like if we can disrupt the supply, supply chain, then we're more likely to get what we want. I mean, that was COVID strategy. We're just, the virus was like, I'm just going to disrupt a little bit of the supply chain, a little bit of... Right. (laughs) Yep. Um, And take all your toilet paper. That wasn't COVID doing that. (laughs) That was some industrious people who were afraid of diarrhea. Well, you know, you do do what you got to do, right? You got to quash them fears somehow. They chose Charmin. So there's that. So he starts looking around and he thinks to himself, okay, you know what? I just got to take the trains out of the equation. I got to take the trains out of the equation and I got to take the tele- the telegraph posts out of the equation as well. He's going to pull his speed and shoot the hostage. I mean, not the best idea, but um, he teams up with James J. Andrews, who is a civilian scout who on the occasion may have dabbled in some spy work for the Union. And um, he has some ideas on how this can be achieved with a small group of volunteers, including both civilians and military men alike. The idea coming from him is to engage in a little bit of sabotage with the goal of destroying both the Western and Atlantic Railways, thus affecting, effectively cutting off the Confederacy from being able to move supplies or troops. Okay, so okay. Here's, where, here's where it gets a little sideways. Their plan, which, P.S., they did, like, give to the general, and the general okays it, is to steal a train on the way to Chattanooga. They're going to steal the train, they're going to cut lines, they're going to destroy railways as much as possible, possible bridges and even switches which i didn't know this but like by this point even though trains in the u.s are relatively new compared to like boats right um they have the train system down to like a fine art that is so well timed because it has to be like the switches have to be made at the right time otherwise you're causing mass collisions so their idea is to even take out some switches while they're at it. <laughs> the 
their hope is that by cutting the telephone lines, they would make it so much harder for Confederate troops to, quote, you know, phone home for help. Yeah. Right? Um, That would create the needed time to take Chattanooga for the Union, and then they would meet back up with General Mitchell behind enemy lines. Now. I know what you're thinking. There's no way this can go bad or even a little sideways, right? <laughs> the fact that you're telling me the story means this is going to go <laughs> south very like it's going to it's going to fall like a newborn giraffe. It's going to do some stuff. Um so I should I should stop and say to you at this point that any soldiers who are quote captured wearing civilian clothes will be hanged as a spy. So All right. Mind. I mean, that that okay. checks. And evidently, this is common knowledge at the time. I didn't look it up, but I am curious to know, like, if that is still a relevant um, thing in war theaters today. I'm I'm unclear on that, but it was certainly a very relevant thing for them back in the Civil War. I mean, if you get caught behind enemy lines, I think it's bad news bears. As do I, but I'm not entirely sure if, like... Even if you had nothing to do, like you weren't behind enemy lines for a particularly nefarious reason, you just ended up there or you were not even behind enemy lines, but captured somehow by the enemy and you were in plain clothes. I'm not sure what the Geneva Convention rules on that are today. <laughs> okay. All right. That's fair. I am curious about it, though. Um, so, so remember that that's common knowledge among the troops at this time. So that being said... Andrews, who, remember, is a civilian, and another civilian called William Hunter Campbell, along with Private Jacob Wilson Parrott and 21 other volunteer Union soldiers from the 21st and 33rd Ohio Infantries, embark on their journey. They're wearing civilian clothes and simply dismissing the thought of the danger of being caught because this mission seemed so easy to them. Like, all we gotta do is catch a train. And then create problems along the way. Like, this shouldn't be... Really, this should be easy-peasy. So the group at this point now takes the name Andrews Raiders. They would split up and travel in smaller groups of two or three to avoid suspicion. <laughs> they were any That they were soldiers or any type of, you know, militia-type group on their way. Their goal is to meet in the town of Big Shanty, believing... And Big Shanty is in Georgia believing that Big Shanty does not have a telegraph office, but it does have the facilities that would be needed for use for like refueling and adding water, both things they would need for the street steep train north via this train. Okay. <laughs> so, April 12th. And I was telling my husband about this the other day. This is like the third or fourth story that, April and specifically April has showed up in one of my stories and I swear to you it is not on purpose totally unrelated but I think it's interesting to point out so April 12th 1862 Andrew and his raiders wake up don their civilian clothes and they board the western Atlantic train in Murrieta Georgia the train is called the general and the conductor is called William Allen Fuller and they tell him that they are Confederate Secret Service agents on a special mission from General Beauregard. <sighs> Just like, 
I just lo- I love that that's a name. I love that General Beauregard is a thing. More on him later. Okay. Um, I, I can't so, say I know a ton about Beauregard other than it sounds like something straight out of Gone with the Wind. That Okay, so that was exactly what I thought when I first read his name and I was like, no, that cannot be real. Like, that was made up for the movie. <laughs> but nope, that's his name. And he is like, from from everything I can understand, uh, he is like the pride of the South. He is the individual that started the civil war like he's the guy and so when they tell william fuller that they're working for beauregard the train is the the, he's kind of sus he's like i'm not entirely sure on this but because they mentioned beauregard they're like well so be it then i guess you can get on so while the train is stopped in big shanty during the morning run William Allen Fuller and his team gets off the train along with the passengers that were formerly boarded, and they're going to have breakfast at the nearby hotel. That's a pretty long stop for a train. (laughs) I know. I'm not. I'm learning all kinds of stuff about trains in this that I think I should have known by now because I live literally right next to a historical train depot. But like (laughs) news for me, I learned a ton of stuff. So the train stops. And all these guys get off, and this is when Andrew and a team and team decide to commandeer the train. They keep the locomotive, which is called the General, and three box cars, removing any passenger cars attached. So they start chugging along. <laughs> Somehow they get past the sentries that are posted out. Like I don't know how the sentries missed that the train was starting to go, but they did. But in the meantime, William Fuller, who is having breakfast in the restaurant across the street, looks out the window and goes, oh, heavens. Oh, no. (laughs) And him and two of his men start out on foot chasing the train. Which that feels like a foregone conclusion. (laughs) Okay. Okay, so I don't know if you know this because I didn't, but at the time, uh, your your everyday average train went roughly between 15 and 20 miles an hour. They could get speeds up to 40, but we're dealing with right between 15 and 20 miles an hour. So, okay, so these guys. This is right? literally the same speeds that we're talking about Back to the Future 3 on. <laughs> yeah. So now picture that, but three guys chasing after you. Oh, I hate this. Okay. (laughs) So, remember I said, you know, they've they've set out on foot and they're running and they realize this isn't going to work. So what do they do? Well, they hop on a nearby hand car, you know, all Looney Tunes style, you know. Exactly. With the, (laughs) yeah, you got Wile E. Coyote. And Elmer Fudd working together to get this thing going, right? Um, Yeah. And so they're chasing after them by hand car. I'm not entirely sure if if Andrew and his raiders know that at this time. I'm sure they have some kind of understanding that they're being followed. But this is the time they get the chance to um, stop and break up tracks, tear, tear up switches, wreak as much havoc as generally possible in their wake. Um, 
again, remember the goal is to cut the, cut the lines, cut the telephone, or cut the telegraph wire. Wait, wait, so they're on the train, the train is going, and then they're going to destroy the switches and the track. How? Are they jumping off? I'm thinking either they are slowing down enough to keep the train going, but still be able to get their guys back on board. I mean, okay, because... I get that the train's not going, but like, how many hits is it going to take? to destroy that switch and what are they using maybe i'm getting two in the weeds you know i didn't get that far in the weeds because this story to me was just so funny that i could not like i didn't i didn't want to visualize it anyway than what i thought my mind was showing me and that was like two guys hanging off the back of the train being held by two other guys with the like sledgehammers <laughs> okay i mean um, that 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 was the visual I had, and that was what I was sticking with. Like, I don't need to know. I assume they're probably burning some stuff. I would I would have to think that there's some type of other destruction besides just sledgehammers. I mean, burning would work, right? But I'm just like... Right. I know they didn't burn down the whole, the whole run to Chattanooga, so I'm going to assume that it wasn't, like, massive. Okay. Yeah. I'm thinking two guys... I'm going to hold your legs. You got the sledgehammer. You're going to cause problems. I mean, or saws I, or something. maybe, maybe they had like sticks of dynamite and they're just chucking T TNT. I, I would just love that detail, been. you know, because I'm just like, okay. You know, but anyhow. I, I will Google it. But like I said, the image I had in my mind, I didn't need to know further because it was just already so silly to me that the William Fuller and his men are following on the hand truck. Like I yeah. didn't, I didn't need to see the real, the reality of what, the other team was doing at the time okay okay <laughs> so at one point andrew and his raiders they come upon another train that is on a siding which according to the office of railway railway regulations the term siding has a very wide meaning within the railway industry and can mean any track where railway vehicles may be left i.e they are not operating at at the time the duration that such a vehicle can be inciting may vary from minutes to years. That's that's a bit of a discrepancy. A bit. But it's like, okay, so this is my very, very base understanding of this. If your train is going down the tracks and another train is coming, but that train has like it's either goods or like is deeded to that track. I'm not entirely sure how it works, but that train gets the right of way. Your train has to go into siding. So, so that it if can you're pass. riding the Amtrak in California and the Santa Fe is coming, you have to get off and wait I for think an exorbitant amount of time. That's exactly how it works. I, I looked it up in a couple of different um, places and that was kind of, my like i said my very base understanding of it um and again it could be you could be waiting for just a couple of minutes you could be waiting for several hours if you're on amtrak it's hours <laughs> or days <laughs> um but now remember they are on the moving train when they see this train and they think mm, you know we could also sell that too like we'll just take both of them there's enough guys betwixt the, the 24 of us like we, we'll just take that train too but they realize that there is too big of a party of people around. There's like a work group around and not enough time for them to steal the train without raising suspicion. So they just carry on their way. Shortly after this, 
they find themselves in the siding as another train heading south needs to pass. Anyway, realizing they are running out of time and that their pursuers will be catching up pretty quick, Andrew speaks to the station master, telling him under direct, telling him that they are under direct orders from General P.G.T. Beauregard that he is carrying much-needed ammunition to the troops in Chattanooga. Well, the station master, not wanting to take Mr. Beauregard off, quickly obliges and gets them moving along. So, at this point, I just want to stop for a second and sidebar um, Mr. Beauregard himself. So, like I said, he is the Confederate general who started the Civil War at the Battle of Fort Sumter on April 12th, the year before. So, this is a year to the day of the opening okay. of the Civil War. And not the the same time that Robert Small stole this, the boat. <laughs> no, I think that was just a couple of years later, but yes. That's, that's what I was assuming. Yeah, I think, I think, don't quote me on this, but I think he sold the boat in 63. Um, Don't quote you on it. It was your story. I know, but it was like a lot of stories ago. So that's I've fair. That's fair. a lot of dates. Okay. okay. <laughs> so I All think right. it was 63. So Beauregard, he is of Louisiana Creole descent. History has dubbed him with some doozies of nicknames, such as the Great Creole, Napoleon and Gray, the Creole, and also they refer to him as the Hero of 61. So just keep that in your mind because Andrews obviously knows this because he has no problem telling the station master General Beauregard has a mission for him. And the station master has absolutely no problem quickly obliging General Beauregard's request, right? Yeah. So, Andrews tries this method again when a little while later, at a junction further up the line, he is stopped. He tells the station master, informing him the exact same thing. A different station master? Because I'm assuming each station has its own master. master. Yeah. Okay, because otherwise he's just a bit of a broken record. Yeah, no, we're we're, some miles up the the track now. All right. Um, so he's talking to the next station master, and again, he he tries the same thing. General Beauregard, we've got ammo, we've got to go, we've got to make it to Chattanooga, like yesterday, you know, I'm on a tight time schedule, you know, the whole bit, right? But the station master there <laughs> informs him that he has no choice but to wait, because the train that just passed is labeled with a red flag, which indicates that there is at least one other train directly behind him. It can be several trains. So they're probably carrying goods, would be my guess. But I'm entirely unclear about that. But if the train has a red flag on the end, you must let the rest of the trains pass first. Okay, so it's a busy rail. It's a very busy rail, and so they wait. Like, they don't have a choice, so they (laughs) they wait for just over an hour. And they get out of the station in the nick of time. Fuller and his men arrived minutes later. Still running. <laughs> well, they're on the hand truck. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. <laughs> but at this point, Fuller is able to acquire an actual locomotive <laughs> called the Yana. Then switching shortly after. Wait a minute. A... The trains have names like their boats? Yeah. yeah the, the, the train that Andrews is on is called the General. Okay. Yeah. Did so... you already say that? Did I miss that? I did. I said that at the beginning, but I don't, I wouldn't say that you missed it. Okay. So, but, you know, I have said there are two other generals involved, so (laughs) it could have been just lost in translation, right? 
So at this point, Fuller and his team go through not only the Yana, but then they switch shortly after to another locomotive called the William R. Smith. Okay. So having a locomotive gives Fuller the chance to gain ground. That is, until they reach tracks that the Raiders have destroyed. Thus, running their new train equipment completely useless. Very nice. So, <laughs> so Fuller on his men set out on foot once again. Until they come upon good track and commandeer the southbound train called the Texas, which they drive in reverse, pushing its tender in front of it because they don't have time to turn this train around. Like, we don't got this kind of time. So the tender is in front. Well, behind the Raiders, Fuller, while behind them, the Raiders are like headed, they're going, Fuller is able to get out exactly one telegraph before Andrew's men cut the line. And knowing that they are not now far behind because one source said Andrew and his men can hear the whistle of the train behind him. So like, they're getting a little antsy. He figures they're only about 18 miles from Chattanooga. Andrews and the Raiders cease their destruction and abandon ship or train, whatever. They scatter, knowing now that men are coming from both directions. They've got Fuller's reinforcements coming from above, from the Chattanooga era and area, and Fuller and himself and his mates coming from below. Now it's time to so, scatter. Everyone start talking about the cotton harvest. Go to the wind. Take to the... Yeah, you know, grab yourself a cheer wine and just pretend you've been here for years. The whole time, right? Go find Pappy. Call it good, right? Unfortunately, according to the AmericanRails.com, quote, the hasty union plans were too slow and disor- disorganized to cause serious damage. And most of the individuals involved were eventually captured. Boo. Boo. I know, right? Andrew's raiders were tried in military courts and found guilty of acts of unlawful belligerency, which I did not know was a thing. Unlawful belligerency. What what cal- As, what constitutes lawful belligerency? That was exactly what I was going to say. I am I don't know. Um, I would have thought it was going to be for destruction of property. I would have thought it was going to be for sabotage or espionage, any number of things. Unlawful belligerency is what they went with. Maybe lawful belligerency is what I do to my physical therapist. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, or- because I'm kind of a brat and he deserves several bottles of alcohol from me. To be to fair, replace though, what he's done or what I, I was going to say. To be drink. fair, he's done some pretty dirty deeds to you, also. So, I, but he's doing it for the right reasons, right? I'm biting the hand that feeds me. Yeah, but do you really get into physical therapy because you're because you're not like into torturing humans? Unclear. <laughs> like he talks about it, like it's some kind of philanthropic effort. But I mean, he's got a skill set. I'm I'm a bit of the forest for the trees right now. See? There you go. So unlawful belligerency. And you practice lawful belligerency while he <laughs> practices torture. Um 
sadly, Andrews and seven of the others were taken to Knoxville and hung, which is a bummer. But Private Parrot, who I had named earlier, and the remaining raiders make for an escape. Quote, eight succeeded. Parrot and five others did not. They were held as prisoners of war. Private Parrot was beaten more than a hundred times in a futile attempt to learn more information about the raiders' intentions and plans. He did not give in. He was beaten a hundred times? A hundred times, and he never said a word. Like, how many a day? I don't know. It was not over a hundred days, so it's it's going to be... It's it's going to be some multiple beatings in one day for sure. Um, the POWs, however, were eventually released in a prisoner exchange. On March 25th of 1863, so now we're just, o- just under a year later, the six raiders that had been recaptured and, and eventually were released were, were awarded newly approved a newly approved medal for valor. Private Jacob Wilson Parrott would be the first recipient of the Medal of Honor for the trials and torture he endured while being a POW. Wait, wait, let's let's zoom out a sec. So these guys get back and the government's like, ooh, uh, you know, they they kind of went through it. We hmm, we should we we should we should do something. We should give them a party. Give them a button. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep, that's you that's what they get did. a shiny button. That's what they did. But Private Jacob William Parrott's actions, or excuse me, Jacob Wilson, I said William, I apologize, um, would grant him to be the first recipient of the Congressional Medal of Honor. Three of the Raiders did not receive medals. Um, Charles P. Shadrach was a soldier. He was executed as a POW. George D. Wilson, also a soldier, was executed as a POW. And Samuel Llewellyn, Samuel Llewellyn, was a soldier as well, but he was caught before they even got out of town. Like, I don't think he made it to the train in the first place. Did they not give them a medal because they had already passed away? And so they didn't give it to him posthumously? I think so. At least not at the time. They may have have given it to them after that, but at the time, um, they were executed as POWs and thus did not receive one. The thing that extra makes me mad, though, is Andrews and Campbell's both being... Andrews and Campbell, both being civilians, were not eligible for the Medal of Honor. Or the Medal of Valor, because they were civilians. Which I think is bumpkiss, because it was Andrews' mission in the first place. And... And he was still labeled as a POW. So you can be labeled as a POW, but you cannot receive the medals. Which is the same thing as saying you can join the military, but you can't vote. When can you join the military, but not vote? I'm just saying, like, that's that's, that's, to me, it's that same feeling. Like, in this case, it's you can join the military, but you can't drink yet. But Oh, okay. Now, see, I'm with you there. Okay. All right. I know they were discussing raising the voting age. So it'd be the same kind of mentality. Like, it just seems silly to me. Um, Parrot did survive, although he suffered a heart attack and died on December 22nd of 1908. So he lived a good long life after that. Yeah. Um, And there is now a road named after him. (laughs) You can still see some of the trains that were involved. 
the locomotives. The general, which the one is the one that Andrew and the Ra- Andrews and the Raiders stole, is on display at the Southern Museum in Georgia. Okay. In Tinsaw, Georgia. The Texas, the locomotive that was used to give chase by William Fuller and his mates, is on display at the Atlanta History Center in Atlanta, Georgia. And if you would like, I have photographs of the fellas involved. Do you like to see them? Yes. So this is a delightful collection. So this um, montage of photos right here, I found on the Congressional Medal of Honor website. So James J. Andrews is there in the middle, and then around him are photographs of everybody else. All Tara, of these names, see. they mm-hmm. are straight up exactly what you would expect for Southern names. <laughs> I mean, right? you got Dorsey, Mason, Shadrach, Hawkins, mm-hmm. Bensinger, Buff- Buffman, <laughs> Porter, Buffman, <laughs> Campbell, Pittenger. Right, Sla- Slavins. That's one I haven't. I think heard it's before. Slavins. Yeah, Pittinger looks like a time traveler. He doesn't actually look like he belongs in that. Pittinger photo. looks like John Lennon. I was just going to say he party. looks like John Lennon cosplaying as a Civil War era gentleman. <laughs> um, a little lower on the page, that's William Fuller. In case you needed a visual of the man who hand trucked his way to a locomotive. William William Fuller is the man, he looks like he has changed from a life of snake oil sales to Bible sales because he's (laughs) done just being a a grifter. Right? Like, I love the, okay, so the photo I'm showing her, he's got on a dark suit and he's got like, he is completely bald on the top of his head, but has most of his hair on the sides and the back. And he's the got, hair goes down to his ears, yeah, right? Down like to his so, ears. and then yeah. he's got this little runway of a goatee down the center of his chin. So if he had a cleft, it is fully taken over only by the hair. Uh, yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. Actually, his mustache and his goatee look like a, a, a arrow pointing up to his nose. That's exactly what it looks like. Oh my gosh, you're right. Right up yep. to his nose. It's just a look at my nostrils. Aren't they fabulous? I breathe um, through these. And I huff and I puff as I push my hand truck down the train tracks. A little lower is exactly what you would imagine General Beauregard. <laughs> I mean, truly, he looks a little thinner. I mean, he he needs to be getting some more home-cooked meals. I mean, he does. But here's the thing. The minute I heard his name, my first two thoughts were, that's a made-up name straight from Gone with the Wind. And second, I bet you he has a giant blondest mustache. Like, no questions asked. Yeah. yeah. I had to find his portrait. <laughs> uh, so those are those are my new, my new friends, um, Andrew and his Raiders. And that's my story of how the first Congressional Medal of Honor was awarded to a private in the Union army of the civil war because of a great looney tunes-esque locomotive chase of 1862 dang 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 i had no idea (laughs) was it not glorious that was that was pretty good i laughed so hard like 
just the mental image of them destroying the tracks with William Fuller and his friends just chasing like on foot and then hopping a hand truck or hand car and pumping their way to <laughs> just that is the sign of a man who does not want to tell his boss he lost the train. No, you're you're 100%. dead right. No, yeah, we've all had those days where it's like, no, 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 not I. This I is not die. the day, and I am not the one. <laughs> not my circus. Not my monkeys. Not my circus. Not my monkeys. <laughs> no, see, not my circus. Not my monkeys. Is the the station master just going? You know what? Fine. Here you go. You want on that that track? I. You know what? Zero <laughs> cares. Here, have at it. Live your life. Yeah. Rain blessings. Peace. Blessings. Like, I just, I want to be in the same room with, first of all, General Mitchell, who okayed this. And it feels to me like like it has the same energy as whoever sat at the planning meeting for Sharknado. Yeah, where you have a die with a bunch of words on it and you just roll a die. We're going to steal. Okay, now use the noun die. Clouds. No, no, roll it again. Train. We can't steal clouds. Yep. Trains will work. We got trains. We can do that. That's exactly the energy that I had while reading it. I was dying and I have not let my my family take a break about trains. And and now that I've said that I probably should go to the to the train museum next door. To which I said to my husband I don't know about you, but like, I can't just jump on a train and drive a train. Like, not, not, not my skill set. Now, I do know that Andrews was an engineer, so, um, he probably had the, the training to (laughs) drive a train. Um, but I don't know, like, all the men in my family seem to believe that you can just get on a train and as long as you have a coal man to throw the coal in the train that going is not hard. <laughs> I mean, have you so, ever heard of like the the cockpit conversations with like pilots or, or, or not pilots, but like just laymen or people who aren't very skilled yet and mission control, not mission control, the air traffic control the air traffic controller is just like okay here's what we're gonna do we're gonna get through this together you know and like they very calmly talk them through how to fly a plane okay yeah but they don't have that in how to steal a train like you either know how to do it or you don't you're right i'm i don't feel like it's get like getting in a car i'm not getting in a moving big rig and looking down (laughs) at all of those gears and going yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna make this work yeah, I just, but the the men in my house seem to think that, like, you could just get on a train and know how to drive it. So, if you hear a story in the news about someone going to jail for stealing a train, know it was for science, and please bail me out. You won't be the one doing it. You'll be the one <laughs> doing the GoFundMe because Hubs and the kids decided that they were <laughs> going to have a bonding exercise. And uh, steal a literal historic train from from our train yard it's gonna be so exciting <laughs> just it'll make for one hell of a college essay i mean it really will he's especially for number one because he's got all of these volunteer things he gets to put in there and then he can say i also incidentally 
do know how to steal a train. He's going to start his essay with, I am the redoubtable. (laughs) Yes, that's it. And may we all live the life where we can start our college essays with, I am the redoubtable. In fact, in fact, you're not doing it right if you can't say something to that effect. But I think that would mean that we all have to go chaotic neutral or just swing heavy on that chaos side. This is a stretch for my family. I mean, I... I just, I welcome the chaos, so. Live in it. Breathe. Yeah. Yeah. I have loved this. Thank you for sharing. You're welcome. I love a good, I love a good war blunder. And this one did not have the effect, that did not have the desired effect. (laughs) There you have it. I love it. And I, I love how you started with the Looney Tunes because everything was was shared in that same color palette. Oh, I couldn't see it any other way. I read approximately three sentence bef- sentences before I looked up and said, what in the Looney Tunes is this crap? And um, the husband just cackled from where he was sitting because he had seen it. And he was like, oh, whether this is a podcast episode for her or not, she needs to know that this is the thing that actually happened and wasn't just in a movie. Which, by the way, there's a movie about it. Okay, what's the movie? Oh, The Great Locomotive Chase. <laughs> I mean, so very creatively named. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. When was or, it? excuse me, Great Locomotive Chase, I think is what it's called. It's missing the, the I think. When was it created? Oh, um, let me double check. I think it's the 30s, but let me just check. For okay, so definitely out of my purview. I I didn't see that at Blockbuster. Yeah, I don't think it was going to be. Oh, okay. So The Great Locomotive Chase is starring Bress Parker as James J. Andrews, presented by Walt Disney. This was a Disney flick? I, he was involved. It says presenter. Jeffrey Hunter played William Fuller, and I'm just gonna tell you, Jeffrey Hunter is a looker. Um, there's there's a whole slew of other of the other fellows that were involved. Um, <laughs> they're fabulous. It came out in, oops, oops, oops. It came out in 1956. It is one hour and 28 minutes long, and um, I can't show it to you because I'm looking at it on my phone. But the poster for it, the guy looks like what um. Oh my gosh, I just drew a blank on his last name. His first name is Ryan. He plays Ken. Uh, Gosling. Gosling. He looks like he could be Ryan Gosling's like um, dad or uncle. Okay, so I'm yeah, I'm like picking up some opinion. some vibes from that. No, no, it's not going to be. It's not going to show you very good. Oh right? yeah, no, I can see that. Um, <laughs> that is that is Ryan Gosling. I'm quite certain the remake's going to definitely star him. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. Uh... That's been my week. <laughs> Dang. I owe everybody in my house in Advil because of the cackling consistently coming from me while studying this. Dang. This was this was worth the wait. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, if you think this has been worth the wait and you're thinking, you know what? I'm finally going to get off my duff. I'm going to give them that review that they ask for. And uh, 
I'm going to share this. I'm going to share this with my, my mailman and let them know that they need to listen to this while they are dropping off the mail. We're here for it. I'm going to have to come up with a great mailman story now. And if you have a great mailman story, <laughs> you can email us. You can yeah, email like us. You can email us at unhingedhistorypod at gmail.com. And on that note, goodbye. Bye.